and welcome to the Artcast, your fortnightly arts review podcast, brought to you by Vicky Kosmaska. Hi. Kaz Murray. Hello. And me, Laura Leonard. This week, we're actually talking about two different exhibitions that are both on at the Tate Modern. The first one is Pierre Bonnard, The Colour of Memory, which is on at the Tate Modern from the 23rd of January until the 6th of May. And the second is Dorothea Tanning, on, again, at the Tate Modern, 27th of February to the 9th of June. And you can actually get a combined ticket for both. So we'll get onto those in a second. But just a little bit of art news at the top of the episode. Poor old David Hockney. Oh, yh- bless him. But he's such a good sport about it. Yeah. He got stuck in a lift. What a dream coming out to all those firemen. I don't think he was going <laughs> Someone's a little envious. I am. Um, so if anyone hasn't heard the news, then poor old David Hockney got stuck in a lift in Amsterdam. Poor chap. Happens to the best of us. So, But he was immaculately well-dressed in the images of it. So, I mean... That's all that matters. He held his standards high. But in his honour, Vicky, who would you like to be stuck in a lift with? Any artist of all time. I think I would go for one of the artists we've covered previously, actually, Frida Kahlo. Oh, cool, Ooh, yeah. I considered I, Frida, actually. Yeah. I think I'd be interested in hearing about the more personal aspects, I think, of her life, actually. How she coped with the disfiguring like accident that she mm. went through, the her relationship, and also like kind of becoming like the face of female modern art for Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you'd really utilise that lift journey to I know. get stuck in there. We need to, we need to be stuck in there for a long time, so I free think. So tell me about your so tell me that accident. Yeah, you'll have <laughs> people rescuing you, being like, we'll get you out in ten minutes. Like, actually, could you give us another half an hour? Yeah, we're some more like, stuff on the chat through. I mean, it's basically therapy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kaz? So I think I'd choose Banksy, actually. Ooh. So I can live with him because, first of all, I think he'd have good chat. Mm-hmm. Um, probably have some very interesting debates about the state of the world and kind of putting the I mean, world. He's very to political, right. like you. He's very political, so I think you know someone who's got an opinion would be good. Mm. Keep me occupied. But you might not know he was in there with you. Well, that's also I think would be a bonus because I wouldn't feel shy. I'd be like, oh, this is just another just a person. Know. Don't know, maybe he, may, he might never. You might never know. Maybe I could have already been, been yeah. stuck in a lift with Banksy. I don't Maybe. know that he'd tell oh my you. Goodness, it might have already happened. That's yeah, very true. Very true. And then um, my final re- r- rationale was that if it did look like we weren't able to get out of the lift, Banksy as an artist has spent quite a lot of his life getting into and out of places he shouldn't be. He's so he might have out. a little idea about maybe there's like a secret trapdoor mm. that we could go through and then the lift would be empty and that would be a mystery. Very clever. Yeah. Mm. Well, mine is actually Dorothea Tanning. I'm a bit in love with her after the exhibition. I think yeah. we all are. Yeah. What a dream. Partly because I think she's got such a great sense of humour. She'd keep me really entertained and she'd certainly make it into a, a kind of interesting, surreal space. Mm. I mean, it's just an empty box, but I'm sure she could do something interesting with yeah. it. And with then her also, imagination. Yeah, Exactly. Um, and also a key motif for her is that door being ajar. So I just can't help but feel that she would find a way out. Similar to your Banksy, she'd kind of find It's almost that. a bit like Alice in Wonderland. Like we'd draw yeah, a door yeah. and then it would open and you'd go and away we'd go on an <laughs> yeah. adventure. So first up, we're going to be discussing Pierre Bonnard. Vicky, you're going to give us a little bit of an overview about who he is. Yeah, so Pierre Bonnard, as the name gives away, was French, born in 1867 um, and passed away in 1947. He was a post-impressionist artist, best known for his painterly style, so taking all of that influence from the Impressionist movement, but married with a really vivid use of colour um, and to some extent reacting to other artists of the time, such as Matisse and the sort of Fauvists, who used really, really bright, vibrant colours. He wasn't part of that school, but 
kind of combined some of those influences. And he primarily painted domestic scenes, either from photographs or from memory. And one of the things that he returns to time and time again is the female nude and bath scenes in particular. When you look at his work, you'll see that he uses the sharp lines of windows and doors, tables, to kind of create a space beyond that. And didn't he do this other thing as well, where he'd be constantly reworking pieces, like for like years and years and years yeah. he'd constantly be working and I read something in an article where apparently one of his pieces was in a gallery and he'd spotted a new colour he wanted to include so he got a friend to distract like, <laughs> the people so he could quickly get some colour in which I quite liked That's quite funny So unfortunately, I haven't made it to the Pierre Bonnard. I've let the side down, ran out of time this week. So as I didn't get to go, I'm going to ask the girls the things that I really wanted to know about it because I am really keen to go. So first of all, he was obviously quite a controversial figure. So I read that Matisse thought that he was one of the greatest colorists of all time, but Picasso just could not abide him. Really? Yeah, I don't really know why, but what camp are you in? Oh, that's interesting because I'm probably more with Picasso, which is not <laughs> something I would immediately say. say. No. Uh, well, I mean, if it's like a spectrum, I wouldn't say I'm completely on Picasso's side because there were things I did really love, like his use of colour is amazing and he really... It's not realistic in the sense of he'll just put colours in that obviously aren't there in the real kind of landscape. So I did really mm. like that, but there were bits of it I wasn't that fussed about and I got a okay. little bit bored. I completely agree in terms of the repetitiveness of the subject matter means that after a while you're just a bit like, okay, right. this is another like another bathing scene, another bathing scene, or another landscape, or yeah. the view from the window, and it's like, okay, great, and it's beautiful, and mm. you definitely get the sense in his use of color and the way he can like portrays the scenes. It's like it takes you back to the south of France, and you're like. I just need a really chilled glass of rosé in my hand and I am having a dream. So it's like going on holiday. Yeah, but I think it just needs a bit more. It just needs a bit more excitement. Have you just spent too long in the south of France? Evidently. over it. (laughs) (laughs) I think there were some of his paintings where it really did come together. Like the ones I personally really liked were where he used either like an open doorway or a window to kind of create this very Mm. bold sort of frame. So it was like a picture within a picture. That's really interesting because I found those really irritating. Yeah, you didn't like them, did you? (laughs) And I really liked the ones where there was quite strong contrast between different colours because it really made the painting pop mm. but there were some I felt like just didn't really come together as a piece really? and either looked a bit messy or I just didn't really know what to focus on mm. and I did take particular umbrage with his sort of lack of attention to some of the faces that he painted yeah, um, yeah they were just I don't know they all looked a bit same generic, yeah. generic and there was probably only one oh. or two where I felt like wow you've you're portraying some kind of human emotional affect yeah. through this painting there was one which was a portrait of a woman at a dinner table and she looks really pensive and kind of staring off into the middle distance and I really like that one but others I was like it just looks really flat and mm. so it wasn't that he'd like purposefully abstracted them they were just a bit lazy just yeah all the same the, the one yeah. thing I would <laughs> say in contrast to that is when painting his own portrait so the self-portraits yeah. were very different in both in terms of the colour palette, which was mm. much more muted. He used mm. sort of brownie, reddy colours. And also, in painting his own face, there was quite a lot of emotion in there. Yeah, that was the other and one that, was, that I was like, yeah, there's... There was actually... It, it felt like 
there was kind of a sort of sense of trying to grapple with something within his own psyche when he was painting his and he doesn't do very many of those either so I yeah. think there were only three in the whole exhibition mm. yeah and the but they one, were totally very different yeah yeah. and there was like one right at the end so it was obviously yeah. him towards the end of his where life where he does the Modigliani eyes and they're black yeah it's quite haunting yeah. actually so that was the other one where I was like oh yeah had yeah. a bad day that day uh, but what you're saying is some really good highlights but in amongst a lot of fillers yeah, that's a really yeah. good way of putting it. Okay. Um, so the, the thing that I was really excited about seeing were the paintings of his wife bathing because yeah. they look so beautiful when I've seen them on screens. Mm-hmm. But I also understand that he had a perhaps controversial relationship with his wife. There is a sense of a voyeuristic element to it because yeah. the way that he frames, you know, going back to what you were saying, has in terms of open doorways, reflections and mirrors and that sort of thing, there is this sense that she's being observed through a space or in the reflection of something. Mm. So there is that element to it. There's also this weird thing where she seems to be wearing nothing but high, high heels, heels. Which, which is extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, which is, I guess, in and of itself, a sexualizing yeah. thing to do, right? So Because she was bathing for medicinal purposes, right? So yeah. it seems even more odd that she would get out and pop on a pair of heels. Yeah, and then start toweling herself. Yeah, yeah. Unless she's, like, super glam. Maybe that was something yeah. we just don't know about. Something to strive for, perhaps. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's the <laughs> last thing I'll do. She does feature a lot, and she's mainly naked. So mm, it's yeah. the kind of repetitive nature of it. Um, and some of the bath, well, like the images of her bathing, because apparently she had to bathe quite a lot towards the end of her life, again, due to ill health. They were kind of quite lovely. I just think, again, it was just like coming back to it again and again. And also, I don't think in any of the portraits of her she was looking no. directly back no. at you it was always off to and one also, side or, her, or from behind so yeah, it's kind so of like a sense of observing her without but it's her also knowing. that point about not having facial features like she's never had she's never, in any of them does she particularly have distinctive yeah. facial features to your earlier point like there is this sort of disembodiment yeah. of the individual from the physical which is interesting when you consider she's probably the closest person to him or the person he sees all yeah, the time so they were together sh- for something like 40 odd years mm. yeah and that he chooses um, to kind of portray her in quite an interchangeable way yeah mm. well so he also quite famously had a lover a, oh, he, he had an affair did he, he paint her sorry he did paint her okay um, <laughs> and was she naked too? yeah <laughs> <laughs> give me the gossip <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing <laughs> carry on sorry um he had to make a choice, basically, between the two women and chose his wife. Oh, no, I end. do remember that, yeah. And then she, the, the woman that he was having an affair with committed suicide. Oh, really? So, I, I don't know, that kind of also adds an edge to it, mm. right? There's, there's this sort of sense of, I don't know, torn affection or something. Yeah. Mm. Kind of interchangeableness, yeah. maybe, in his mind of... Women. Women. Mm. And I guess to your point as well, that you were saying... He, only chose to paint her naked or the vast majority of the time whereas surely he must have seen her in various well, other so there of dress are, there are paintings of like domestic scenes so like round the dinner table and stuff oh, really? and like the dining oh, yeah. scenes and stuff mm. the kitchen was that is a good point actually where she fi- she's part of those scenes and she's very much dressed so she's in the That's kitchen true. or in the bar <laughs> they were her yeah. two purposes well you know yeah <laughs> and what did you think of the chronological hang did you like it I liked it and as far as because his work is there's nothing else to kind of Roof it to get, like yeah, you either true. do it as the bathroom scenes, the sort of landscapes. Otherwise, what how else? else how else are you going to categorize it? So mm. I think they didn't really have much choice. I also didn't get a huge sense of time passing. No, in his work, it's because, very similar. Yeah, like his style doesn't change that much mm. over yeah. the course of his career, mm. which is hugely contrasting, obviously, to Dorothea Tanning's yes. exhibition on the other side of the museum. Yeah. Absolutely, which is just where she just 
spreads over so many different mediums yeah. really mm. competently and keeps changing and chopping in what she's doing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, personally, I think it's really interesting that they position the two opposite each other within the gallery and also that you can get a combined ticket because I think if you take the two as a pair and sort of weigh them up against each other that's a really interesting comparison for me yeah so what what would you sort of say in terms so of so I think one is like the painterly technique of both and Dorothy Tanning is an excellent draftsperson mm. um, like her style and the variety of her style is incredible. She wasn't even professionally taught. She was self-taught. Yeah, incredible. Um, which is insane in comparison to his, which feels quite monotonous. It doesn't mm. change much. And yes, he plays with colour and stuff, but there's no sort of sense of the artist growing or progressing. Yeah, yeah I think that the sort of evolution or yeah. ha- like how has he changed or his perspectives changed over mm. well, it's the course of his interest. career. interest. Like if you think of like the topics and the different areas that Dorothy Tanning looked at, varied so hugely from completely surreal motifs to she turned her hand to set design and was designing costumes and stuff for theatre her breadth of interest in what she was painting varied so hugely whereas his was like my naked wife our kitchen and the landscape yeah Yeah. there was like sometimes some glimmers of something that felt a bit different there was one uh, sort of landscape he did and it was a kind of very different to his kind of very colourful landscapes which was like a sort of desolate destroyed town and it had some soldiers in it that yeah, looked very kind of shell shocked um for want of a better term so that like and that was the palette was like very red and yeah. quite dark and it was really different to his kind of really colorful yeah you know gardens so there were kind of glimmers of him doing something different but but largely he kind of happened upon a formula that worked yeah. and kept working and at kept it on doing it whereas and tanning was just had this voracious appetite for new yeah, yeah. to keep creating and yeah, keep yeah, pushing yeah. the boundaries but also i think the ability to keep doing that yeah perhaps that's yeah. where the problem really lay <laughs> rather um, okay and and so just lastly as well i know that they um, the tate showed five unframed works yes. yeah. to try and give you an impression about what they looked like in the studio what were your thoughts on that i actually preferred them unframed yeah same um, a lot of the frames generally tend to be quite ornate. Um, Very gilded. Yeah. Oh, really? You would have loved, You'd have loved it. it. My vibe. <laughs> Your vibe. But um, it was but it's quite... Just, it's detracting, I think. He needed them to be portable, so it often would be like rolling them up and taking them with him to the next place he was going and then opening them out again and reworking them. So seeing them unframed mm, helped yeah. you see them as how he saw them and gave some insight into the way he... Worked. Like his artistic practice, which There's again... some great photos of him working where they're just pinned to the wall. Exactly, yeah. And actually... The other thing that I really noticed going around the exhibition, take a step back and then take another two because the works really come into their own when they're seen at a distance and you kind of appreciate the... Which is sometimes hard to do in a very busy gallery, isn't so it? So I went on Friday night and it was really lovely and calm. Really? It was very mm. nice. The late night showings tend to be quite calm. Yeah, yeah I highly I recommend like it. This might be my new thing. Great, so that's um, the Pierre Bonnard. So would you guys recommend it just as a last... Little. I would recommend it in conjunction with the Dorothea Tanning. Okay. I think the pair actually... As an add-on rather yeah, than... Yeah, I think to view both together I think is actually quite interesting because they overlap at, at yeah. the end of his life. So just bearing that in mind, the, the huge chasm mm. that I think... Actually, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that's interesting. That sits between them. I actually would say I probably won't be recommending this exhibition to okay. friends of mine, just because I didn't personally love it. And mm. for the combined ticket, it's like £27 mm. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the combined ticket is, I think. Um, and, yeah, there's lots of exhibitions out there, and I have to, have to kind of be a bit discerning. So, actually, I probably wouldn't recommend mm. it, just because I didn't love it. If it was him featured with other artists, then it yeah. might mix up a little bit more. But I think mm. just because it was only his work, 
work and I just got a bit yeah. bored. Which is weird because I love colour. I was fully expecting me to be like enthralled by his use of colour, but turns out... But he didn't do it for you. Need a little bit more. So the next exhibition that we all went to is the Dorothea Tanning. Kaz is going to tell us a bit more about her in yeah. more detail, but I thought it would be helpful to mention a little bit about surrealism as a movement as well, because I think it's something that a lot of people are aware of. They know the paintings of Salvador Dali or Rennie Magritte, but it was actually a huge international movement that encompassed writers, musicians, artists, photographers, filmmakers, and works of theatre. Um, so a really big artistic movement. And it actually originated in Paris in the wake of World War One, when obviously European society was sort of on its knees and the pinnacle of progress and rational society that everybody had been striving for since the Enlightenment was this brutal and horrific conflict where it must have seemed like the Enlightenment ideals were just eating themselves. And so off the back of it, this group of artists in Paris just started celebrating the, the unexpected instead, the irrational instead of the rational, the uncanny. And they did that through trying to access their unconscious drives and also through thinking a lot about their dreams. And so there's a lot of automatic drawing or writing in what they do, but also lots of depictions of dreamscapes or of hidden psychological tensions. But what's kind of common for everybody is that dispensing with a societal morality, aesthetic values or any kind of rigid, rational approach to, to living life. And so the kind of inherent nature of surrealism is, is in itself quite postmodern, and actually, arguably, some people believe it's still quite a relevant movement now, that it hasn't really come to an end. Certainly still, there are surrealist artists working now. There's definitely times when I read the news where I'm like, this is really surreal. <laughs> is it life imitating art or yeah. art imitating life? I don't know anymore. Well, and it's that striving purposefully for complex layers of meaning as opposed to just mm, like yeah. solid answers that rationality and reason it's this or that yeah exactly with surrealism you have none of that binary true or false right or wrong it's so much more around the nuances and many many different truths. interpretations exactly so in itself mm. it is quite postmodern so obviously yeah dorothea was working within that well i think she she termed it more of a philosophy than an art movement mm, and i think that's yeah. an interesting way to to see it yeah yeah, so Kaz, tell Shall us I more about... Off? Yeah. yeah, a bit more about Dorothea. So she was uh, an American painter, printmaker, sculptor, writer, poet, many, many other things. Originally born in 1910 and was raised in Galesburg, Illinois. She actually, at the beginning of her career in the 1930s, while she was living in New York, she supported herself as a commercial artist and illustrator, pursuing her own painting on the side. And it was actually here that she first discovered surrealism at an exhibition at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. And she got her kind of first break when an art director at Macy's department store was really amazed with the creativity of some of her illustrations for fashion adverts, decided to introduce her to the gallery owner, Junian Levy, who immediately offered to show her work once he saw it. And Levy later gave her two solo exhibitions, one in 1944 and one in 1948. He also introduced her to the circle of kind of emigre surrealists who were living in New York at the time, whose work he was also showing. Um, And this included the German painter Max Ernst who she married in 1946, um, and they were married for around 30 years, living in America and then in France. Apart from three weeks of training at the Chicago Academy of Fine Art in 1930, around about then, Tanning was completely self-taught, which I was just I didn't know until I did the research afterwards. And as Laura sort of said, many consider Tanning a surrealist painter, particularly with the surreal image, imagery in her early paintings and her connections to artists and writers of the surrealist movement. 
but arguably some other people have said that she actually developed her very own distinctive style in her artistic career which spanned seven decades which is astonishing mm. and multiple mediums from painting to sculpture set design poetry and writing and she just didn't stop you guys she was just seemed like a creative mm. force and that her last collection of poems coming to that was published when she was 101 and that was a year before she died wow she's such an inspiration i know yeah. i know it's just amazing this exhibition is the first large-scale exhibition of tanning's work uh, for 25 years and it brings together over 100 pieces spanning her extensive output so vicky what did you think I thought it was incredible, especially in comparison to the Bonnard. The breadth of her work and the complexity of her work and the sort of themes that she deals with, the playfulness that comes through Mm. in her work. She can jump so casually between one form of artistic output to a completely different and then also completely different topics. I think it's a little bit overwhelming on the one hand that mm, yeah. like you feel very much put in your place that this woman was yeah. so talented. I mean she's an outrageous talent, but actually I think such a kind of grounded person as well. And you know yeah, she kind of t- you know takes the Mickey herself out of things. Oh and I she's love that someone who's got sense so of humor. Real. And you know there was a, a, a quote that they included where she was kind of like don't ask me to tell you what it means. I'm not <laughs> yeah. here to tell you what it means. Like I just hate <laughs> Just paint the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As one individual, she had this like incredible like appetite to create, to keep creating and yeah. keep challenging and, and driving newness and change yeah. and like. So she goes from like that really crystalline figurative surrealism that you see with like yeah. Dali, and then she goes to a much more kind of she called it kaleidoscopic, didn't she? But yeah. kind of more abstract, painterly, like vast canvases. Then you have the sculptures, the which stuffed incredible. sculptures, which I thought you would love. She I made them her the, singer sewing machine. I yeah. loved, I love that too. Yeah. <laughs> and then the installation, and then she writes a novel in her nineties yeah. and poetry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the really woman's, thrilling. like, boundless. Yeah. And the awesome. energy that comes through in all of her work as a result of that and the creativity that comes through in all of that, I think, is really inspiring. It's really astounding. Yeah. yeah. And you uh, felt the same? Yeah, 100%. I thought I found it really thrilling. I kind of, like, every room I went into, I felt like I was submerged into a mm. new world that she'd created. Yeah. It's amazing to, to sustain that over such a long career period to yeah. kind of keep coming up with something new. I mean, I'll talk about it a bit more, but it was also very eerie and spooky and she definitely doesn't like to be pinned down and kind of Mm. kept me guessing and even at the end it's kind of kept me guessing and I think if I was to go back into that exhibition and look at the pieces again I'd probably see something new yeah yeah it's a great I think it's a great exhibition to go to with friends yeah Yeah, definitely I went with our good friend Sarah and it was amazing standing in front of the paintings and being like what do you think this means like what have you seen in it because you can especially the early ones you kind of read them like you would like a renaissance painting you're looking for the iconography the meanings they're like different symbols but it makes no sense yeah Yeah. you're just trying to and the more you try to do it, the like, like the more evasive yeah. she is, which yeah. is I love that. Apart from her dog. Apart yeah. from her dog. Where um so <laughs> she has That was um, the consistent force. That was a consistent yeah. force where I mean obviously close to my own heart. Um, <laughs> yeah. she paints her dog's face in pretty much everything. He's his little face hidden in, in one of the paintings and like spot the dog became my favourite activity, I think, <laughs> in the exhibition. So, Vicky, what did you find the sort of most compelling about the exhibition? I would say I was most interested in her earlier stuff, the more sort of surreal mm. element and more the figurative more stuff. figurative stuff. And I think the thing that really struck me was the impact of her childhood, of her own childhood. She said, nothing happened but the wallpaper, which... <laughs> I love <laughs> that I love that quote. Like, it's just like... <laughs> 
It's just it says that was the only interest in life. Nothing of interest in her life. So her parents had emigrated from Sweden. She had a very sort of not rural but suburban, average, average American, usual American white big events lifestyle. This yeah. playfulness yeah. of her character that you see come out in her work at a later stage mm. is something that sort of builds out of this quite sort of monotonous lifestyle that she yeah. had as a child. So there's a whole series of paintings that she did which include dining tables and white yeah. linen cloths. And the whole point of that is because every Sunday the pastor would come over and they would have this formal Sunday lunch and it was a sort of white middle class thing to do, right? And the, my favourite of that sort of series of dining tables is actually poached trout in English. Yes, I like that one. It was, so basically this is off the back of an experience she had in France. In the Pyrenees, they have freshwater trout and they literally pick them out of the stream for you and plunge them into boiling water so they're cooked alive and they come out blue as a result and also curled because of the shock of the hot water. And so she's created this scene with this blue trout on a plate and underneath the table is the stream of trouts going through it. And um, she describes that moment of the trout hitting the water as the divine ecstasy of death. <laughs> which um, yeah because I guess it, it's almost like it is like, it's, it's like kind of like, spasm, like I don't know and I just the whole thing just sort of captured me yeah yeah also just like when I saw that because you've got like she's sitting at the table and literally underneath the table it's yeah, like it's this like a, stream a of fish yeah. and in some ways it is that like I don't know, it's that idea of, like, still waters run deep and that whole Mm, idea of the mm. subconscious. Because she did sort of say that that she was painting from her subconscious and that idea of, like, I'm sitting at a table and then, like, these depths below of, like... Yeah, and she's, like... What might suddenly pop out, I don't know. She's eye-to-eye with the fish as well. Yeah, it's eyeballing her. But I think, for me, kind of... It's the culmination of all of these images of the dining table as a sort of force within the household and the domestic. And then... But it also how it upends and how it's yeah. kind of bizarre. And but sort of like, subverting that. Yeah. Yes, because I guess yeah. the dining table was like emblematic of that domesticity when nothing happens. Yeah. But in fact, she like within her work, it's, it's surreal. Yeah. All sorts is happening. Whether it's the, the fish being poached or the, the tablecloth chaos. Or I loved the one where the roses turned into those beetles. Oh, yeah. Like exactly. darkness the, in what the, would have just been like a pretty domestic mm-hmm. like table also, arrangement. Yeah. I'm so just imagining her sitting at a dinner table with her family with her imagination just yeah. going off on yeah. one to keep like to entertain herself being like well this is potentially quite stifling so yeah. it's quite like this idea of like Dorothea eat your soup and she's like, like sitting there yeah. like there's a whole load of stuff yeah. in here. <laughs> you don't know I think that's completely what it is there's often quite uh, a little bit of darkness tinged with what she's doing as well yeah like darkness about the, the beetles. Yeah, yeah a combination of both humor, I think. but you were Which really interested in I yeah. loved yeah so I suppose like, first of all just caveat there is so much I want to talk about this ex- exhibition so we're yeah. being strict and giving ourselves one um, but the main thing is I really loved the supernatural nightmarish horror thread that kind of pretty much ran through all of her work that definitely has this very kind of eerie kind of unsettling quality Mm. Apparently, as a child, she read a lot of gothic novels, and I can definitely see that influence mm. in her work. And she, I think, described it as she escaped into these worlds where things are kind of familiar but also strange. And and she, that's that's. I read a lot of horror as a child, so I was like, oh, personal for my own <laughs> heart. To you. But yeah, there was quite a few pieces that I thought really demonstrated this. First of all, the kind of very famous one, which is actually like the 
cover picture for the exhibition, mm-hmm. excuse my German, um, Ein Klein Nachmusik, which translates as a little light music, which in itself is her being a bit yeah. kind of ironic because that's, yeah. I think, taken from a Mozart, name of a Mozart piece. And basically it's a, uh, one of her kind of early works, more surreal works, where it's a kind of corridor and then you've got these two kind of young girl figures, one whose hair is defying all gravity and is like mm. going straight up in the air. The other one sort of looks like she's kind of like floating a little bit mm-hmm. in a doorway. And then there's like this huge kind of sunflower that's kind of slightly like the petals are falling yeah. on. Yeah, and so the tendrils have escaped. Yeah, yeah. so it, it looks like a nightmare, like mm. in a kind of, it looks kind of strangely familiar because it's this corridor, but then weird stuff yeah. is happening and then like the wall is a bit cracked, which feels yeah. a bit ominous. What does that mean? And then one of the doors is slightly ajar and there's this yeah, light coming yeah. through. Um, and apparently Dorothea used doors quite a lot as that kind of metaphor for the doorway into the unconscious mm-hmm. and that an open door meaning kind of potential possibility but then a shut door potentially being what is it hiding and you know my you know keeping a lid on kind of unco- unconscious fears and desires and so this kind of not knowing whether it's benevolent mm. or bad and that kind of uncertainty and the suggestion of it yeah, could be either yeah. is really like unsettling but in a really kind of cool way like because I really like scaring myself as well so <laughs> I really liked how she kept me on my toes of like mm-hmm. not quite knowing where she sits and also that picture really reminded me of my friend of The Shining by yeah. Stephen King mm-hmm. and that whole idea of like corridors of doors and not knowing what's behind yeah, the doors yeah. and loads of good horror movies are said in hotels aren't they yeah, yeah exactly and it's a motif that yeah. well she, she obviously predates The Shining but yeah. mm-hmm. they clearly are of the same kind of like more sort of legacy I guess yeah. Um, and, and then the other piece. Is it Chambre de yeah. yeah. Yeah, your French is better than mine. Well, no, it's not. It's appalling, <laughs> but I'm trying. <laughs> L'hôtel de Pavot Chambre de Chambre Santé. Which, again, uh, is an installation of this kind of rather innocuous looking hotel room. Mm. But within it, she's created these like soft fabric sculptures, that kind of like figurative bodies that are kind of coming out of the furniture and out of um, the fireplace. And out of the wallpaper. And out of the walls. Yeah. So, so what Vicky was saying earlier about nothing happens but the wallpaper. The wallpaper. Yeah. In she, Chambre it's, it's, it's happening. Shit is going down in there. It's also a theme that she picks up in her yeah. um, paintings. So there's a tiny little one which was hung right by the one that mm. you've just been talking about called Children's Game. Yes. And I, I love that one. I bloody loved it. I bought that it. as yeah. a postcard. I loved it. And the, there's two girls in it and they're literally ripping the wallpaper off the walls. Yeah. And also and aren't gosh, they like half yeah. on fire as yeah. well? They're like wreaking havoc in that yeah. space. Yeah. It's incredible. But I just think this idea of youth and the young playing with conformity mm. and sort of... And also children not necessarily being solely sweet and no, innocent. exactly. And like, it actually reminded me a bit of Michelangelo's children's yeah. back and all, of yeah, like yeah, children yeah. running riot and kind of... And also there's nothing, there's nothing creepier in a horror film than children. Yeah. Mm. You know, The Shining has it and stuff yeah. like that. And that kind of other side to their nature. Well, the surrealists were all really interested in adolescence. As well, and in, really? like, in Alice in Wonderland in particular, because she goes into that alternative Down the universe. And it's kind of like the imagination of children and getting back to the id, you know, getting yeah. back to the, the drives and the, what we would all do if we didn't have those cultural codes that we have to abide yeah. by. Yeah. Yeah. Very like Lord of the Flies, if you put more yeah. on an yeah. island, what would happen? It's mm. that kind of wondering of the unknown and I guess the unconscious conscious which is where that like oh it keeps you in that state of like I don't really know where I am I feel unsettled and Dorothea did that like you said she didn't she wasn't going to define her paintings because it kind of keeps the viewer in that place of I don't really know what's going on it keeps you interesting it makes it interesting one of the key threads throughout all her work as well was the use of the female form so across all the different mediums she 
often hinges it around a female body. And I thought that was really interesting in the context of the surrealist relationship with women in general, particularly under André Breton, who was a founder of the movement. And very much, I think, as we learned at the Modern Couples exhibition we went to at the Barbican last season, Mm -hmm. he advocated the use, for want of a better word, of women in terms of men accessing that subconscious drive or getting back to a more kind of basic drive. Primal instincts. Yeah, and so whether that's the female body, if you think about somebody like Hans Bellmer, who was quite famous for his images of his partner, Unicruzern, who he would lie in a fetal position and bind in rope so that the rope was intercepting her flesh and very much makes her like very much an object. To be it's like meat. Yeah, be quite literally like yeah. meat, to be devoured by the person yeah. looking at her. Or Breton himself, who wrote Nadja, which is a surrealist novel based, it's a biographical novel based on his relationship with a woman called Nadja, who had mental health conditions. And he very much um, encouraged erratic behaviour from her because he found it, I don't know, entertaining. He found it like, all surreal. He found it counter to um, yeah. society's yeah. moral codes. So he mm. encouraged it from her. He lavished lots of attention on her when she was behaving in a certain way. But then when he tired of her, he put her to one side and she had a psychological breakdown off the back of it. So, you know, really questionable yeah. activity. Uh, Dorothea Tanning uses the female form in such a different way. And like, you know, children games, the image that Vicky loved of the two girls ripping the wallpaper off, they are absolutely the protagonists of that story. They're in yeah. that space, owning it, wreaking havoc in it, telling their story. And I found that really exciting when I looked at her work. And also in Chambre de Sondeur, who that Kaz has been talking about, yeah. again, it's very fleshy female forms, largely, that are bursting in through the wallpaper and taking over that space. Yeah. And, and kind of all, like, entangled up as well. So yeah. it is quite sensual as well as violent. But yeah. So she plays on sort of mater- maternity and um, the sort of pregnancy bump that... Yeah. As a, as an image, yeah. kind of reoccurs in her work. So I think it this the, the whole full gamut of yeah. like what being female is. Absolutely, there's not this through. kind of obsession with the binary that we quite often yeah. see in art history, where you're either the virgin or the or whore. whore. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas Dorothea Tanning's women are complex. They're neither good nor bad. You're not entirely sure what they're doing, and they might or change they, from it day to day. Yeah. Or they're, they're both. both. They yeah. move between yeah. the two, and both inhabit both at the same time which yeah. can seem paradoxical but actually makes a lot of sense absolutely and I'm not aware of any other surrealists like, focusing on the pregnant body either yeah. um, but there were a few works in there as well that I did actually find a bit more problematic in terms of I mean I guess I was trying to read it in that light <laughs> and I guess that's typical Dorothea Tanning you don't really know yeah. and yeah. she doesn't really tell you she's going to keep um, you on your toes but there was one work in particular called By What Love that was one of those fleshy fabric sculptures of a really curvaceous female form standing in all her glory, but tethered to, yeah, to by a, a chain, yeah. I think. Yeah, by a, to a pole. So again, it kind of brought it back to just, it, you know, she, she didn't have the freedom of, say, the, yeah. the two girls in Vicky's piece. Or mm. lots and it, of the and other. it's kind of like, almost looks like the arms behind the back and it's kind of like yeah. head yeah. bent down in a kind of slightly subservient also. yeah or like yeah. dejected yeah. sort of posture yeah so I think it's complex and also in reading more about her I realised that she didn't like to be seen as a feminist artist or she resisted mm. that reading I think particularly in the 70s and 80s when the feminist literature second wave was kind of yeah was was very prevalent she was really resistant to being entirely owned by that narrative and I guess it's just again typical yeah. Dorothea Tanning she was resisting the label well yeah I suppose like 
on the one hand, having a name to put to something is useful because it puts a name to something, but then on, it can also be limiting yeah, as completely. well. If I like, yeah, if yeah, I yeah. say I'm or a feminist. Well, she doesn't even like being called a surrealist. No, she? Yeah. absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. And she's. I mean, I it even seems like she was like, painter might have been a bit ambivalent yeah. about that. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, don't limit me to one medium. Yeah. Georgia O'Keeffe had a exhibition a couple of years ago, and one of the posters that they were advertising on the underground had a quote from O'Keeffe that said, I don't see myself as one of the greatest women painters, I see myself as one of the greatest painters. Yeah. So so sometimes mm. that prefix of woman artist can be limiting. Uh, well, yeah, and also a sort of an offshoot of. Dorothea Tanning said, um, women artists, there is no such thing or person. It's just as much a contradiction in terms as man artist or elephant artist. Yeah. So I think as much as, you know, we're obviously we were so excited about the Annie Albers because the Tate was putting on this big artist of a female, a big exhibition, sorry, of a female artist. And I think it is really important to celebrate female artists, but in all their idiosyncrasies and variety yeah. rather than to ha- just have a you know an ism which is yeah. women artists because yeah. that in itself is limited women artists case. don't sell as much unfortunately as male artists do you know they don't the the exhibitions don't sell the same number of tickets that's just an unfortunate fact i think that's like also really important about like going out to support stuff like this because yeah. the more people go then big institutions see that there's appetite yeah. for it yeah. and there is an audience for it and people are interested in it what are we going to take home? What are we going to take home? Yeah. Vicky? I'm going to take choice? children's games home mm. because I do love it. And I love the fact that it's like a really small format and you could hide it somewhere in the house and people may or may not notice it. And when they mm. do, they're a bit sort of shocked and surprised by what it is. And yeah. This seemingly this, innocuous yeah. painting, actually. There's it's kind more of like a little miniature, but it's actually quite dark. Yeah. I love it. Uh, my take home will probably be one of Tanning's uh, fabric sculptures, Tweedy. Ugh. Which I, know I Laura didn't I like. I found it so scary. I know. I, th- I think it's, it's so cute. It's so cute and scary, though. So it's this um, fabric sculpture. It's made out of tweed when she got, like, a lot of her fabric sculptures, she got kind of fabric from charity shops. So this is kind of like a Harris tweed. And it doesn't have any features. And it kind of looks a little bit like a frog, but not quite. It kind of looks like a dog. Like a it a looks like a dog. <laughs> I thought it was like a little reptile. A little reptile. So that's very ambiguous. Um, and then off, just off to one side, she decided to give it a little poo, which <laughs> just really made me laugh. I feel like eerie. it made it seem more, more alive, the fact that it yeah. had done a turd. Yeah. <laughs> it really reminded me, if you've seen Stranger Things series 2, it reminded me of Dart so much. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, okay, it might be this cute little thing now, but it's going to slide. Climb into this big monster. Yeah. But again, you know, so contemporary. Still so contemporary. Like, yeah. Everything she does just feels completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. Like it wouldn't be out of place right now. In like Gremlins or something like that. So I really liked it because it also shows her ambivalence of like, I don't know if this is good or bad or is this friendly or not. And her humour and darkness. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, All in one very cool stuffed toy. I'll make one for Ori. No, no, please don't. <laughs> I don't want that in the house. <laughs> no. Um, so the one I'm taking is um, Family Portraits, which is in the last room. And it was the massive Rubens-esque one. Yeah. The mm. big, fleshy female forms. But there was kind of... But I don't know, one of them might have been male. There was three kind of stacked on top of yeah. each other. And then your little dog, Vicky, poking its little freaky head in on the bottom. I loved but again, it. just I kind of it. rounding it and making it like not so much idealising these great figures. Too. But, yeah, <laughs> but asking questions. I, I thought it was beautiful. Any artist that can like slightly poke fun at themselves and not be grandiose got a lot of time for yeah so this week we've been talking about Pierre Bonnard and Dorothea Tanning 
Both are on at the Tate Modern. Yep. The Bonnard is on until the 6th of May. Mm-hmm. And the Tanning is on until the 9th of June. So next week, well, we originally said that we'd go and see the Morag Keel at the ICA, but we've been hearing a lot about the Tracy Emin show that's on at the White Cube. So I think yeah, I've actually get... been already too. Yeah, me too. Ahead of the game. Mm. So we'll do another two-parter for next week. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed what you've listened to, please rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find us. You can get in touch with us at helloartcast at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram at The Artcast. You know, if you've got any thoughts, comments, feedbacks, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, let us know what you thought of the exhibitions as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And um, thanks to our editor, Johnny Leonard, and also to Nat Witz, who composed our jingle. So until next time, guys, see you soon. Bye. 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 See you later.